Chapter Ten of the House of Whispers by William Lacroix. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Declares a woman's love. At nine o'clock that night, Gabrielle left her father and ascended to her own pretty room, with its light chintz-covered furniture, its well-filled bamboo bookcases, its little writing table, and its narrow bed in the alcove. It was a nest of rest and cozy comfort exchanging her tweed dress she put on an easy dressing-gown of pale blue cashmere drew up an armchair and arranging her electric reading-lamp sat down to a new novel she intended to finish presently elise came to her but looking up she said she did not wish to be disturbed and again coiled herself up in the chair endeavouring to concentrate her thoughts upon her book but all to no purpose ever and anon she would lift her big eyes from the printed page, sigh, and stare fixedly at the rose-colored treadless pattern of the wallpaper opposite. Upon her there had fallen a feeling of vague apprehension, as she had never before experienced, a feeling that something was about to happen. Lady Hayburn was, she knew, greatly annoyed that she had not made her appearance at dinner or in the drawing-room afterwards generally when there were guests from the neighbourhood she was compelled to sing one or other of her italian songs her refusal to come to dinner would she knew cause her ladyship much chagrin for it showed plainly to the guests that her authority over her stepdaughter was entirely at an end just as the stable clock chimed half-past ten there came a light tap at the door it was hill who on receiving permission to enter said if you please miss mr murray has just asked me to give you this and he handed her an envelope tearing it open eagerly she found a visiting card upon which some words were scribbled in pencil for a moment after reading them she paused then she said tell mr murray it will be all right very well miss the man replied and bowing closed the door for a few moments she stood motionless in the centre of the room her lover's card still in her hand then she walked to the open window and looked out into the hot oppressive night the moon was hidden behind dark clouds and the stillness was precursory of the thunderstorm which for the past hour or so had threatened across the room she paced slowly several times a deep anxious expression upon her pale countenance then slowly she slipped off her gown and put on a dark stuff dress until the clock had struck eleven she waited then assuming her tam o'shanter and twisting a silk scarf about her neck she crept along the corridor and down the wide oak stairs lights were still burning but without detection she slipped out by the main door and crossing the broad drive took the winding path into the woods the guests had all left and the servants were closing the house for the night scarce had she gone a hundred yards when a dark figure in overcoat and a golf cap loomed up before her and she found walter at her side why dearest he exclaimed taking her hand and bending till he pressed it to his lips i began to fear you wouldn't come why haven't i seen you to-night because well because i had a bad headache was her lame reply i knew that if i went into dinner mother would want me to sing and i really didn't feel up to it i hope however you haven't been bored too much you know i have he said quickly in a low earnest voice i came here purposely to see you and you were invisible 
I've run the car down the farm road on the other side of the park and left it there. The mater went home in the carriage nearly an hour ago. She's afraid to go in the car when I drive. Slowly they strolled together along the dark path, he with her arm held tenderly under his own. Think, darling, he said. I haven't seen you for four whole days. Why is it? Yesterday I went to the usual spot at the end of the glen and waited nearly two hours, but you did not come, although you promised me, you know. Why are you so indifferent, dearest? He asked in a plaintive tone. I can't really make you out of late. I'm not indifferent at all, Walter, she declared. My father has very much to attend to just now, and I'm compelled to assist him. As you are well aware, he's so utterly helpless. Oh, but you might spare me just half an hour sometimes, he said in a light tone of reproach. I do. Why, we surely see each other very often. Not often enough for me, Gabrielle, he declared, halting in the darkness and raising her soft little hand to his eager lips. You know well enough how fondly I love you, how— I know, she said in a sad blank tone. Her own heart beat fast at his passionate words. Then why do you treat me like this? he asked. Is it because I have annoyed you, that you perhaps think I am not keeping faith with you? I know I was absent a long time, but it was really not my own fault. My people made me go round the world. I didn't want to, I assure you. I'd far rather have been up here at Conican all the time, and near you, my own well-beloved. I believe you would, Walter, she answered, turning towards him with her hand upon his shoulder but I do wish you wouldn't reproach me for my undemonstrativeness each time we meet. It saddens me. I know I ought not to reproach you, he hastened to assure her. I have no right to do so. But somehow you have of late grown so sphinx-like that you are not the Gabrielle I used to know. Why not? And she laughed, a strange hollow laugh. Explain yourself. In the days gone by, before I went abroad, you were not so particular about our meetings being clandestine. You did not care who saw us or what people might say. I was a girl then. I have now learnt wisdom and the truth of the modern religion, which holds that the only sin is that of being found out. But why are you so secret in all your actions? he demanded. Whom do you fear? Fear? she echoed, starting and staring in his direction. Why, I fear nobody. What, what makes you think that? because it has lately struck me that you met me in secret because, well, because you are afraid of someone, or do not wish us to be seen. Why, how very foolish, she laughed. Don't my father and mother both know that we love each other? Besides, I am surely my own mistress. I would never marry a man I don't love, she added in a tone of quiet defiance. And am I to take it that you really do love me after all? he inquired very earnestly. Why, of course, she replied without hesitation, again placing her arm about his neck and kissing him. How foolish of you to ask such a question, Walter. When will you be convinced that the answer I gave you long ago was the actual truth? Men who love as fervently as I do are apt to be somewhat foolish, she declared. Then don't be foolish any longer, she urged in a matter-of-fact voice, lifting her lips to his and kissing him. You know I love you, Walter. Therefore, you should also know that, if I avoid you in public, I have some good reason for doing so. A reason? he cried. What reason? Tell me. She shook her head. That is my own affair, she responded. I repeat again, 
that my affection for you is undiminished if such repetition really pleases you as it seems to do of course it pleases me dearest he declared no words are sweeter to my ears than the declaration of your love my only regret is that now i am at home again i do not see so much of you sweetheart as i had anticipated walter she exclaimed in a slow changed voice after a brief silence there is a reason please do not ask me to tell you because well because i can't and drawing a long breath she added all i beg of you is to remain patient and trust in me i love you and i love no other man surely that should be for you all sufficient i am yours and yours only in an instant he had folded her slight dainty form in his arms the young man was satisfied perfectly satisfied they strolled on together through the wood and out across the open cornfields the moon had come forth again the storm clouds had passed and the night was perfect though she was trying against her will to hold aloof from walter murray yet she loved him with all her heart and soul many letters she had addressed to him in his travels had remained unanswered this had in a measure piqued her but she was in ignorance that much of his correspondence and hers had fallen into the hands of her ladyship and been destroyed as they walked on talking as lovers will she was thinking deeply and full of regret that she dared not tell the truth to this man who loving her so fondly would she knew be prepared to make any sacrifice for her sake suppose he knew the truth whatever sacrifice he made would alas not alter facts if she confessed he would only hate her ah the tragedy of it all therefore she held her silence she dared not speak lest she might lose his love she had no friend in whom she could confide from her own father even she was compelled to hide the actual facts they were too terrible what would he think if the bitter truth were exposed the man at her side tall brave strong a lover whom she knew many girls coveted believed that he was to marry her but she told herself within her grief-stricken heart such a thing could never be a barrier stood between them invisible yet nevertheless one that might forever debar their mutual happiness an involuntary sigh escaped her and he inquired the reason she excused herself by saying that it was owing to the exertion of walking over the rough path therefore they halted and with the bright summer moonbeams falling upon her beautiful countenance he kissed her passionately upon the lips again and yet again they remained together for over an hour moving along slowly heedless of where their footsteps led them heedless too of being seen by any of the keepers who at night usually patrolled the estate their walk however lay at the farther end of the glen in the covers remote from the house and near the high road therefore there was but little danger of being observed many were the pledges of affection they exchanged before parting on walter's part they were fervent and passionate but on the part of his idol they were alas only the pretence of a happiness which she feared could never be permanent presently they retraced their steps to the edge of the wood beyond which lay the house they found the path and there at her request he left her it was not wise that he should approach the house at that hour she urged so after a long and fervent leave-taking he held her in a last embrace and then raising his cap and saying good night my darling my own well-beloved he turned away and went at a swinging pace down the farm road where he had left his car with lights extinguished 
she watched him disappear then sighing she turned into the dark winding path beneath the trees the end of which came out upon the drive close to the house halfway down however with sudden resolve she took a narrower path to the left and was soon on the outskirts of the wood and out again in the bright moonlight the night was so glorious that she had resolved to stroll alone to think and devise some plan for the future before her silhouetted high against the steely sky rose the two great black ivy-clad towers of the ancient castle the grim crumbling walls stood dark and frowning amid the fairy-like scene while from far below came up the faint rippling of the ruthven water a great owl flapped lazily from the ivy as she approached those historic old walls which in bygone days had held within them some of scotland's greatest men she had explored and knew every nook and cranny in these extensive ruins with walter's assistance she had once made a perilous ascent to the top of the highest of the two square towers and had often clambered along the broken walls of the keep or descended into those strange little subterranean chambers now half choked with earth and rubbish which tradition had declared were the dungeons in which prisoners in the old days had been put to the rack seared with red-hot irons or submitted to other horrible tortures her feet falling noiselessly she entered the grass-grown courtyard where stood the ancient spreading yew the dual tree under which the glencardine charters had been signed and justice administered other big trees had sprung from seedlings since the place had fallen into ruin and having entered she paused amidst its weird impressive silence those high ponderous walls about her spoke mutely of strength and impregnability those grass-grown mounds hid ruined walls and broken foundations what tales of wild lawlessness and reckless bloodshed they all could tell many of the strange stories she had heard in concerning the old place stories told her by the people in the neighborhood were recalled as she stood there gazing wonderingly about her many romantic legends had indeed been handed down in perthshire from generation to generation concerning old glencardine and its lawless masters and for her they had always possessed a strange fascination for had she not inherited the antiquarian tastes of her father and had she not read many works upon folklore and such like subjects suddenly while standing in the deep shadow gazing thoughtfully up at those high towers which though ruined still guarded the end of the glen a strange thing occurred something which startled her causing her to halt breathless petrified rooted to the spot she stared straight before her something uncanny was happening there something that was indeed beyond human credence and quite inexplicable End of chapter 10